This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. Good morning. As you can see, it is now the 30th of January. That's today. And therefore, we have got Pete and Nikki Cornford, our guest speakers, visiting friends from London. So many of you will know Pete and Nikki. Many of you will not. So this is our opportunity to hear from you guys, uh, get to know you a little bit, and then just something to pray for as well as we land. So Pete, if we can start with you. Can you tell us a bit about the Cornfords, who you are, who's the rest of the family, and what's going on, exciting developments over the last months and years, I suppose? Yeah, great. So um, we've been married 30 years this year. We've got three kids. Um, Josh, our oldest, got married last year, married Esther Maria. That was in August. Uh, Our daughter's getting married this year in July. Uh, Lois, she's marrying another Josh, so we'll have two Joshes in the family and then our youngest boy, Isaac, he's finished university, he's now working up in the city. And uh, he's come back to Ealing, and in fact, all three of them are in the church with us. And we love it in Ealing. In, yeah, so Redeem is fantastic. Yeah, I mean, that's such a privilege. I, I always love seeing my kids uh, in the church, so what a privilege that is. Nikki, you've had a, an exciting multiple years of ministry, and for, for those, the many of us who don't know your story, could you give us a couple of highlights of your ministry journey since you and Pete have kind of kicked off loving Jesus through leading churches? Yeah, sure. I'll give you a quick whistle-top store of where we've been to. So we met at university in Greenwich, and that's actually where we became friends with Howard and Naomi, who we've also been friends with for 30 years. So that's amazing. It's 30 years, yes. Um, so, yeah, we were in um, a church in, in Sidcup, and that's where Pete joined the staff there. And then after a few years, we went, and he was the assistant pastor at a church in Camberley in Surrey. So we were there for three years, I think. And whilst we were there, he went on um, a great church planting course. That's a little plug for later. Um, uh, for churches in London, and uh, they asked us if we were there. A a small team had gathered in Hillingdon, which is the most west borough um, of London, and they asked if we would go and head up uh, that team to plant a church into that borough. And so we did that in 2000, and we were there for eight years um, at the Crown Church, and uh, Tom's brother leads that church, and it's still going really strong, so that's brilliant. And uh, we then went to Australia for a year uh, to work with the church there. That didn't quite work out as planned, so we came back after a year. And the London team um, that we that were overseeing us at the time, they asked us to plant a church into Ealing, which is the next sort of borough in from Hillingdon. It's still in West London, and we've been there for the last 
10 years. And in fact, our church has been going nine years this weekend. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's so fantastic. As part of our family of churches uh, advance, it's always lovely to not just know your story, but also hear quickly what is just some of the highlights of what's going on at Redeemer Ealing right now, and maybe one thing that we can pray for when we pray for you guys, uh, when we're praying in general. So, Yeah, well, it's been a, a, an exciting journey. It's great that even um, after COVID, we are getting lots of new visitors coming on a Sunday, which is brilliant. We've just recently appointed uh, three new elders, so we now have a team of six. And um, we've just taken on someone one day a week to really help with uh, outreach and working amongst the poor. We are developing a team called Welcome Team, which is helping asylum seekers, um, you know, get connected as they land in the country and just helping them out. Uh, We're starting a project to help ex-offenders as well um, get back on their feet. Uh, we're working into um, uh, really quite um, an area of high de- poor deprivation called Southall, which has got a very high Asian population nearby. We've been doing some um, kids teams and kids clubs there. So uh, really, our prayer is that we would love to have a building that we could use, a facility that we could use in the week, partly for discipleship, which is another thing that we've been trying to focus on, um, you know, over the last couple of years, and partly for outreach to really be able to facilitate those projects. So if you could pray for us, it's very expensive in um, West London to get anywhere, and we, you know, we go bidding against, uh, you know, the businesses it's it's tough but you know we we're praying and believing that God has a place for us so if you could join us with that that'd be brilliant we'll do that yeah we equally venue it just seems to be the bread and butter of church life isn't venues and ministry um Pete to finish us um your one of your great loves and passions and God's just grace upon you uh, within our family of churches, you head up our ACPC program. Can you tell us a little bit about what that wonderful four-letter acronym means and what it means for us as a family? Yeah, the thing about Advance, which is, is great as a family, we are committed to two things, to plant and strengthen churches. And uh, so ACPC, Advanced Church Planters course. In fact, I do it with Howie. It's been absolutely brilliant doing that. We're into year three and it's a two-year program, and it's guys and girls that are saying, you know what, I feel a call of God to go and plant a church somewhere, and how can we train and develop and support and encourage on that road? And uh, look, that's not, not an easy thing at all, but just to be able to give our time and prayers for that is, is fantastic. So if anybody fancies signing up, we start in September. Okay. Start in September, it'll be going for a, uh, you sign up for a year at a time, uh, it's a great thing to do. Uh, there's a, it's called a development tool that works alongside. So it's not meant to be an assessment thing. We just want to see how we can develop and see you reach your potential. So if God's called you to get involved in a church plant, let me know. So they're going to be hanging around the coffee table afterwards. That's your opportunity. Grab them for more, for more questions. <laughs> Well, guys, let's pray for them. If you're, if you're close by, maybe stretch out your hand. We are somewhat charismatic, so let's go for it. God, we thank you that we've got family in this great 
ministry that we're wanting to bless you and be worshippers of you, being part of the advanced family, local uh, churches that work together to see your glory in the nation and the nations. And Father, to have our friends, Pete and Nikki, that are serving you so excellently in that great city of London with their team there and the elders and the, the wonderful church there. God bless them. Thank you that they're serving so faithfully. All their outreach, all their in-reach, all of the oh, exciting leaders being raised up and elders being appointed. Father, this is a, a growing, exciting church. And we do pray that you continue your great work with them. That London, Ealing will be reached and loved by the gospel, by the ministry that you've put in them and through them, Lord, in that great area. And we do pray for this venue. Uh, Lord, just the challenge week in, week out of needing to find a place, renting. God, would you provide supernaturally? We, prov- we pray for finances, resources to come sustainably, month in, month out, that it's not up, down, up, down. God, sustainable upward increase in, in generosity in the church that the great mission that they've been called to can be fulfilled through a mission base that they're looking forward to. So God bless them. And we do thank you now for Pete as he brings the word, opens the Bible, and allows us to know and see you a fresh way and love you as you are, Lord. Amen. Amen. Great. Thank you, guys. Great, it's a real, real privilege uh, to come in and preach to you today. If you've got a Bible with you, uh, I'm going to read from chapter 22 of Genesis. Genesis is the first book in the Bible, so if you've got that, you may just want to turn from there. Uh, I know it's been a really tough time. Let's be honest, in the last two years with COVID, with all that's gone on, our worlds have almost got smaller. We we just want to stay at home and, and keep ourselves safe. And the world's changed very quickly. And I don't want to stand there and just think, oh, great, it's a challenge. And I felt really stirred to bring a word, I've called it Disciples of Faith. While I was preparing this week, I got sent this text. I have a significant leg difference. This was from a lady in our church. She says there's a whole thumb size between the length of her leg. Sometimes it flares up and the pain makes me nauseous. I was woken up in the night with the pain and thought, here we go again. On the way home tonight, whilst on the train, the Lord said, you've never prayed about this, but you know there are miracles of people's legs growing. You are going to a prayer meeting tonight, ask for prayer. The session was about to end, and I decided to be obedient and ask for prayer. Michelle prayed for me, and I heard the Holy Spirit say, lay hands on the pain area. As Michelle finished praying, the pain went I was composing myself but wanted to scream, hallelujah. She was just saying, oh, it's remarkable. Now, when I read something like that, how do you respond? Do we respond if we're really honest and think, "Ah, not really sure if I believe that? Is that fake news? I mean, it's like that with the internet and the BBC, isn't it? Do I believe it or not? What really did happen in 10 Downing Street? Maybe if you're anything like me when it comes to these examples of faith, you remember Indiana Jones? He was a real hero. You know, this was a sort of robust guy that was out doing this thing. And and he gets to this point and he's standing on this ledge and it's called the leap of faith. 
Only in the leap of, in the lion's head will he prove his worth. Will he jump? Will he move forward or will he freeze? How do I respond when God says, pray for this? How do I respond when God says, ask of me? Maybe you could answer a question like this academically. Well, I know faith is complete trust or confidence in someone or something. Maybe, because I know Howie's a great Bible teacher. He tells me he's on fire at the moment. I'm feeling intimidated about this morning. (laughs) You might suddenly say, oh, it's Hebrews 11, isn't it? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And you might say, well, Howie's taught me well on that. The Bible often presents a story. It's, it's, it's not a textbook that says, hey, you've got to read this and, and remember all these points. And, and I want us to look at the story of faith from Abraham chapter 22. I'm going to read several verses. I know it would take a moment or two. I believe this is the word of God. Father, as we look at your word, would you open our faith eyes? We, we don't want to come with cynicism and doubt. We don't want to come with an academic approach. We don't even want to come and think, can we prove our worth? We want to submit to your word. So Lord, even in the reading of this, would you speak into our our heads, our hearts? Would our hands be different this week? Because we've heard your word and it bears fruit. Amen. Right, here we go. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey. While I and the boy go over there, we will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. He himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son, Isaac, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. 
Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will shortly bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possessions of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba. And Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Golly. Abraham, I mean, come on, he's a hero of the Bible. In fact, some, you know, many people would say, now he was a huge man of faith. But let's not lose the shock of this story. Let's not lose the, the sudden, cruel confusion of a story like this. Let's be honest, today, it's never true unless you see the photo, is it? I mean, if this was happening today, we would expect it on Instagram, wouldn't we? Let's see the picture. The Renaissance, 400 years ago, was ahead of us in this. And that's why they commissioned paintings like this one. To try and imagine, what would it have been like for Abraham? They weren't there, but they were trying to think, hey, if this happened, what would it have looked like? I imagine if I was Abraham, you'd never forget this day. Nine eleven, where were you? I remember I was in Brighton. I was on a leadership training course. I remember literally coming out and hearing the news. I will never forget where I stood when I phoned Nikki to express my emotions about what had just happened. I imagine this was a 9-11 moment for Abraham. Yeah. You, you could not imagine, surely for the rest of your life, you think, what? How has this happened? He was given a very tough test by God. This goes Anti all common sense. It's against all human affection. It's opposed to his lifelong ambition. It appears contrary to human reason and divine promise. Yeah. Oh, it's gone very quiet, hasn't it? It's a tough subject to look at. I'm not speaking on parenting this morning, if you think that's where I'm going to land. <laughs> Let's just have a quick note here. God tests, but he doesn't tempt. It says here that God tested him. You see, a test is an opportunity for you to demonstrate your love and devotion to God. To tempt is to entice you to sin. I think in several places in the Bible, you think, well, actually, God allows him to have a test. Some of us will probably feel we've been tested in this season. 
God, are you tempting me? Are you tempting me to doubt you, to give up? No, God has allowed us to be tested that we can express our love and devotion to him. John Walton, I've only got the one quote for you this morning, so enjoy it if you like a quote. In the NIV, application commentary says this, God tests us not by trying to make us miserable, but by disrupting our 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 comfort zone thus forcing us to rely on him. Imagine this with, with Abraham. This, is, this whole thing, isn't it? Abraham relies upon God. Abraham has this incredible submissive heart. If you, if you read the Bible, you know that this phrase, here I am, uh, well, actually, that was said by Moses, wasn't it, in, in Exodus 3, when suddenly he encounters God in this burning bush, and how does he respond? He says, here I am. That's submission. You'll also know the same phrase is used by the boy Samuel when he's woken up by this voice which he understands ultimately to be God. And he says, here I am. Abraham doesn't say it once, he says it twice. He says it at the beginning and at the end of the test. His heart has not changed. His heart says, I am submitted to God. And then we learn a few things about faith from Abraham, don't we? The first thing I thought when I looked at this is, God speaks, Abraham listens. God speaks, Abraham listens. Faith starts with what God says, not what I feel. I need to say that one twice for myself. How do I feel? Oh, God, I might feel tired, I might feel weary, I might feel fed up, I might feel disappointed, I might feel let down. Faith starts with what God says, not with what I feel. What does God say? Well, if you've chosen to follow him, if you're a Christian, God says you are loved, accepted, a child forever. And if you're looking in, we love it because God says, I love you. Will you respond to my love? There's so many things that God says if we listen. That's what our faith is about. Abraham listened. Uh, Let's be honest, I've got three kids. You heard about them. They're older now. But sometimes when you're trying to tell them stuff when they're early, you know, younger, they just put their fingers in the ears, don't they? La, 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 la. I'm not interested. I do that now when Nikki says I can't have pudding. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> la, 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 la. I'm going to get an ice cream out the freezer. <laughs> the reality is that sometimes we're like that with God. Are we prepared to listen to him in faith? Faith starts with what God says. Then faith obeys. It's a small phrase but it says early the next morning. What, what the, the, the writer of this is trying to say to us, he said, when he heard, he got on with it. I mean, think about that. Kill your son. I mean, if, if that was me, I have a son. My youngest boy is called Isaac. Now, you know, I, I, I'll get myself in trouble here. We don't see that Abraham told Sarah. I mean, I'm not sure I'd tell Nikki if I felt God had told me to do something like this. Early the next morning. I, I'm, if, if it was me, I'd have thought, okay, Lord, I think I need that one at least two or three more times just to confirm it's from you. I might think, let's put it at the bottom of the prayer list. Let's weigh about that. I might ask a couple of others, what do they think? Early the next morning, Abraham gets straight on. Faith plans. Think about this. We know that he's, he, he's got Isaac and they're travelling there. We know he's got two servants. So what's he say when he gets to this place? He says to the two servants, I want you guys to stay at the bottom of the mountain. And who's going up? It says we. 
we will go up, we will worship, and we will come back. Well, how can that happen? Because he's going to kill him. But that is faith. And faith has this plan. You might say, Pete, you're reading a lot into the story here. But if you flip over to Hebrews 11, it says, By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promise was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it's through Isaac, your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he received Isaac back from the dead. So when he makes this statement, although never having seen it before, we will go, we will worship, we will come back. There was something of a faith that said, wow, I'm trusting God. You see, faith acts. Oh, I feel undone. They always say this, don't they? If you point a finger at one other person, you point to it yourself. I feel that about preaching. I feel like, oh, I'm trying to say, what's God going to say? And then I feel like three times as hard it's coming back. And I think, oh, faith is not just thinking. Faith is not just discussion. Faith is not let's have a round table and work this one round. Faith acts. James, we know in the book of James in the New Testament, I mean, basically, if you had to describe the whole of James, it's like, you know, show me your faith by what you do. When my youngest boy, Isaac, asked me to get baptised, he was about eight years old, and I said, no. He asked me for a whole year, and I said, no. I said, no, I think, I think you're a bit young, a bit young, a bit young. He then starts quoting me the Bible. <laughs> he says, well, it says in James, doesn't it, that I can show God how I love him by what I do. Well, I want to show him that I love him by getting baptised. We know that James says that about Abraham. When our father Abraham considered, was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. So faith in action. I'm here today, I'm gone tomorrow. Howie is your pastor that loves you and he will be here and serving faithfully. So I can say whatever I like and walk out of town. <laughs> faith means you say, I'm going to get to the prayer meeting because that's faith in action. Faith says, hey, why would I only give God 10% of my finances? I, I could go way beyond this. That's faith in action. Faith is what you mean. I could pray for someone at work who doesn't know Jesus. I could just tell them about how I love Jesus and I'd love them to come and discover this. That's faith in action. I think it's great that you're here. But let's not stop there. Faith in action must impact the way that we live. And so here I am, Abraham the hero. What would he want us to learn today? Well, I think we can find out a bit about that by what he calls the place. He does not come out of this and say, I listened. He doesn't even say, I survived. He doesn't say, I believed. He doesn't say, I obeyed. He doesn't say, the Lord provided. Oh, now some of you are questioning me already. What does he say? 
He says, the Lord will provide. Oh, well, I find that a fascinating thing because after this whole event had happened, he said, hang on, the Lord will provide. And you think, well, what's gone on there? The honest truth is that uh, I've got my sermon on my iPad and I said to my wife, I believe this is the word of God, but I am struggling to read it without my glasses on. <laughs> so I, I have to swallow my pride, get my glasses out, I can then read. I sometimes think we need to do that spiritually when we look at a story like this. The danger is it can be slightly fuzzy until it's almost like our glasses just help us to see clearer. I think Abraham's little statement helps us understand the the whole story in a new way. Let's just quickly go through this. In verse 18, I don't know if you picked up, he said he described about what their descendants, descendants would do. Via, verse 18, his offspring, singular. You see, the book of Genesis, some would say Genesis 1 to 11 is the first half of the Bible, and that Genesis 12 on is the second half of the Bible. The first half, God lays gospel foundations. Hey, I'm a creator, you've sinned, there's a problem here, we're going to resolve it. In fact, you know, by Genesis 3, we know that one person's going to resolve it. It's the seed. And many would say the story continues the whole way through Genesis and, in fact, the whole way through the Bible until we discover, who is this seed? Who is this saviour? Abraham seems to understand that right at this place. Because it's not, oh, come on, we could do it together, couldn't we? I don't know about you. I always think, I want a crowd. Come on, we could all do it. I I couldn't take on Tom, he's bigger than me. But if I've got everyone else on my team and we took on Tom, I reckon we could win. Because we focus on numbers. <laughs> His dad would join him, I know, I'm in trouble already. <laughs> but the honest truth is, you suddenly think, that wasn't true for Abraham. He wasn't confident in his numbers. They were, they were looking for one. And the one is Jesus. In Galatians 3, verse 16, it says, The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to his seeds meaning many people, but to you and your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. So what we're really saying is, in this story of faith, Abraham was really looking forward to Christ. And then when you start seeing that, you think, hang on, I can see this more and more, can't you? Because suddenly it says, God says to him, your son, your only son, whom you love. Well, you can't read a passage like that in the Bible, can you, without suddenly thinking about John 3.16. If you've never been to church, that may be the one verse you've ever, ever heard. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only... Oh, hang on, God had said this to Abraham. But this is his one and only son. We know, don't we, when Jesus gets baptised in Matthew 3... You know, I love this. It's almost like God is so excited, he shouts from heaven, doesn't it? This is my son, whom I love and with whom I'm well pleased. Oh, we start seeing that picture in this story. The Bible is full of so many details that just point us through. You you suddenly think, hang on, there is one big story here. And Abraham plays his part in it. There's one big story that we get to play our part in. We're not just about, oh, could we make a difference here in Cheltenham? 
that's why we love something like Advance, or, or that's why we love being part of church history, because we say we're part of your story, oh God. You're not part of us. I didn't sign up for you to be the genie that blessed my life. I give my life to follow your story. And that's what we start seeing here, don't we? Moriah. They reckon it was a 45-mile journey from where Abraham was. Let's be honest, if you're a runner, we would all rather talk in Ks because it sounds better. It was probably like a 72K run. What do we know about that place? Well, we know, don't we, that this is the place where Solomon builds the temple. You can read about that in 2 Chronicles 3. Solomon chose this place because actually his father had sinned and his father encounters God at this place and he buys this threshing floor and then Solomon says, right, this will be the place for the temple. So where does Abraham go and sacrifice his son? Oh, where the temple's going to be. What's going to happen at the temple? It's going to be sacrificed. Oh, so this leads to that. Well, we know, don't we, that then the Romans take over the land and they rename the place. They don't call it Moriah. They call it Golgotha. And so what we know and we believe is that this would have been the place where Christ himself would have been sacrificed. Luke 23, they came to the place called the Skull. They crucified him there along with the criminals. Oh, what we've discovered in this picture of Abraham, he was looking forward to one. Which one was he looking forward to? He was looking forward to Christ. It starts coming loud and clear, doesn't it? You can almost feel like, boom, 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 boom. you know, it's just picking up. Wow, I'm suddenly. This phrase comes in, doesn't it? The third day. Even in the book of Genesis, and the danger is that we can just jump into one chapter and say, oh, God. Even in the book of Genesis, the third day is considered a really important thing. Something's going to happen. Joseph, when he interprets the dream, What's it, the, the cupbearer and, and the baker, and, the, and they're both there, and they have these two dreams, don't they? And he tells them the answers to both of them. He says, well, look, if you get out here and you see Pharaoh, put in a good word for me. When did they get out and see Pharaoh? It says on the third day. It was his birthday. On the third day, we read about that. Pharaoh's birthday, Genesis 40. He gave a feast. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer, the chief baker, in the presence of his officials. Oh, yeah. Oh, so even in the book, the third day, that was considered a significant moment. But many of you, I don't know why you're not doing it. It's because I'm the newbie. You should be shouting at me. But, but hey, don't stop with the birthday. The third day is obviously pointing forward to the resurrection. Because doesn't Paul say in 1 Corinthians 15, he was buried, this is Christ, that he was raised on the third day. Oh, whoa. So when I'm understanding something, it just gets so dense. Even the picture. And some commentators, I try to read some commentators that look like I, I knew something, but some commentators say, why on earth did he chop the wood up and then carry it? Why didn't he chop the wood up on the mountain? There was this picture, wasn't it? The sun has literally got the wood on his back, to climb up to the place of sacrifice. That's the picture that we see. It's funny, because whenever you could look at loads of Renaissance paintings, I got sidetracked for about half an hour. Which one should I choose? Nearly all of them have got Isaac as sort of semi-naked, obviously looking innocent, young lad. 
but actually he was old enough to carry the wood. There's a sort of sense of he's carrying this. But we know that when John 19, verse 17, Jesus Christ carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Oh, the picture of the son carrying the wood upon his back to go to sacrifice. This is what Abraham was looking forward to. Even the whole thing of Isaac then says, Father, there's this intimate moment. Is it, yes, son, where is the lamb? You know, he's looking for this one that is going to be sacrificed. Well, we know prophetically, don't we, that Isaiah says, he was a oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, prophesying about Jesus Christ coming. And in fact, even when Jesus turns up in the New Testament, his cousin John the Baptist, when he's going to baptize him, says, look, look, I see. He doesn't say the Messiah, he says the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I mean, this is just rich. I'll be careful because um, a mutual friend of ours has nicknamed me Pentecostal Pete because he says I can get so caught up in this excitement of it. <laughs> I was even thinking the ram. It says he's caught in the thicket, the substitute ram. To me, that almost seems like a crown of thorns around his head. Oh, I spot the one that's got a, a crown of thorns. He's caught by his head in this thicket. I will go and offer him instead. And we see that, don't we, in John 19. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns. You think, wow. His faith. Abraham wasn't coming out saying, I listened. I obeyed. He wasn't saying, I did it. I passed the test. He came off the mountain and says, the Lord will provide. And that one is Jesus. As I said, Isaac was not a young lad. Jewish tradition, Jewish tradition, this is not in the Bible, states that they think Isaac was 37 when this happened. Oh, wow. That's quite different, isn't it? We know that Abraham was over 100. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to feel I'm in the prime of my life. <laughs> yes, most people know that's not true. I'm over 50. My son Isaac, who's 22, goes to the gym four times a week. I used to arm wrestle him when he was six. I don't anymore. <laughs> it would be foolish, would it not? I know I'm going to lose every time. But how did Abraham get Isaac onto the altar? It certainly wasn't by the might of the father. It was by the submission of the son. He obviously willingly obeyed his father. There was a sense that he would submit to the father's plan. But isn't that a greater picture of what was still to come? I was thinking about this story. I mean, what would be the one thing that would be worse than being asked to kill your son? I can't imagine. It would be to actually kill your son. Abraham was asked, but we know that God went through with it. That 
surely is worse. God said to Abraham on the back of this, now I know that you fear me because he was prepared to kill his son. God actually killed his son for me so I could say, now I know you love me. Not because of what I have done, but because of what he has done. Jesus himself said that he came to be a substitution. The the picture is right here. The gospel story is discovered in Genesis. I have done wrong against a holy, almighty God who's the creator. I cannot pay the price. Jesus was substituted in my place. With Isaac... The guilty goes free, you could say. The animal takes the place. But that's true of me. I am guilty. I face death. But he died in my place. Jesus said in Mark 10, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I think this story is just rich in pointing us to the gospel and Jesus Christ. I mean, what happened? You cannot imagine it. As as a dad, however old this son is, you know, you've you've bound him. You've walked three days. You don't know how you're going to face your wife after this has happened. But God has said something. It makes no sense. This is the child of promise. Maybe he'll come back. You pull out this knife and what happens? God shouts. Spare him. But what happened on the cross? Silence. The son cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God didn't shout out, spare him. God let him die in our place. It doesn't seem fair. I don't understand it. Why would God love me that much? That's the gospel that we come to. This whole book of Genesis, as I say, there's a gospel foundation, then there's this gospel story. It's just been worked out. And we've just looked at one chapter today, the God who will provide. Abraham, when he looks back on the event, when he looks back on it, he's named it. The Lord will provide. That's why when Howie said to me, oh, how are we going to do all this? I said, could we break bread at the end rather than before? Because this reminds us, doesn't he, that Jesus Christ literally died and hung on that cross. Paul writes to the church, doesn't he, in Rome. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not, along with him, graciously give us all things? That's why we come and celebrate this, isn't it? That's why we gather together. That's why we want to give of our money or our time. That's why we'd want to go and plant a church, isn't it? Because we're caught up in this gospel story. And he loved me that much. I know how he's going to lead us in breaking bread in literally just a moment's time. Before we do that, I'm just going to read a hymn to us.
that I feel summarizes so much of this story. Faith is not about me. Faith is about him. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice called out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.